DEI budgets are under attack, but the goals haven't changed. Whether you're looking to increase your DEI knowledge, expand your market reach, or gain a competitive advantage in business, we have the solution. TDM Library is your single source for expert curated DEI resources, strategies, and solutions, all designed to help you transform your workplace culture and be a more effective contributor. For $9.99 per month, you get access to our searchable subscription-based digital library. There, you'll find articles, practical how-to guidebooks, podcasts, award-winning micro-videos, and more than 700 Q&As designed to help DEI practitioners, thought leaders, and executives create a more inclusive workplace. Whether you prefer to listen, watch, or read, we have the resources for you. TDM Library goes beyond the basics to dive deep into topics such as inclusive language, the business case for DEI, talent acquisition, and C-suite engagement. For less than the price of a sandwich, you get access to our library of more than a thousand pieces of original expert curated DEI content. Join today and get your first 30 days free. Get your library card now at tdmlibrary.thediversitymovement.com. You can't stop me, nothing's gonna stand in my way. Welcome to the Donald Thompson Podcast. I am uh, really excited about today's opportunity to share with Angela Franco, President and CEO of the DC Chamber of Commerce. Angela, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm very excited to be here. Oh, fantastic. One of the things, Angela, that we like to do, and we'll kind of uh, balance our time together uh, into three levels. First, I want to give you some space and really just share about you as an individual. Then we'll talk a little bit about the business and the work of the chamber. And then we'll talk about a couple of global things that are going on and kind of wrap things up. So first, talk to us a little bit about you, family, education, where are you from? Anything that we wouldn't necessarily see on the LinkedIn profile. Oh yeah. So I was born in Berkeley, California, and my dad was getting his PhD in education. We moved back to Colombia right after. I was less than a year old. I was under a year old. And that's where I grew up. I did school. I went to an American only girls run by nuns school. Okay. So we always talk about the guilt that we grew up with, with all my girlfriends. So I basically went through the same school all my life. And I still have all my friends from school. That is one of the greatest gifts. I have two best friends, one that I met when we were six years old and another one that I met when was I was 11 years old and they have been my friends for life. I grew up in a big family. We were six siblings, three boys, three girls. My parents, you know, my father was an educator. My mother was a journalist and we grew up amongst Jesuits. And I come from a line of like strong women, even, for example, my mother, my aunt's they had they had great education. They went to school and, and my mother finished a master's. My aunt finished a PhD. So they were, you know, since then, education has been a big thing in my family. I think that was like the, the most important thing to be educated. And on top of that, to behave well, to look good and to serve the communities. <laughs> there you have it. So it was, a, it was, I grew up in a very peaceful environment, loving environment. And, you know, I'm, I'm always I'm always grateful for that. I'm not going to say that it was easy, but obviously when you grow up in a stable environment, 
things, you know, start with the right with the right food. Well, that is fantastic. And thank you so much for for sharing that. One of the things that as I looked at your background and and things that were super interesting, talk to me a little bit, talk to us a little bit about kind of that career rise, right? You're a CEO now, right? CEOs don't start as CEOs. So what are some of the things that led you to your current role uh, as a CEO of of a nationally recognized chamber of commerce? Yeah, so it's interesting you're asking me that. I was having a conversation last night with a friend of mine, and he was telling me that his family and his mother told him that he was great and he was wonderful since the start. My parents were very realistic. They would tell me what didn't work. You know, they were not always like, oh, Angela, they loved me and I knew it, but they would point out things that I needed to work on. And my father always said something that in the moment it made me mad, but now I understand. He was like, Angela, don't think that you're better than anybody else. Don't think that you're more than anybody else. If you want to go someplace, you're going to have to work for it. So, you know, listening to him yesterday, I never saw that as a gift, but now like it was really a gift. We're all grounded. And, you know, I can tell you that my six siblings are, and I are all successful in the way, in a way that we, you know, we prepared ourselves. We earned the spaces we're in. It's not something like it was, it was given. I finished university. Then I moved to the United States for a couple of years and it just didn't work. It's hard to move to a different country, but I needed to, I grew up in a very protected family and, you know, women were like set to get married and, That was not what I had in mind, not because I was not thinking I wanted to, but it just didn't work out that way. You so you see, Uh you know, some people like they meet somebody and they fall in love. But for me, I've been very different on that on that aspect. So I just wanted to to see the world a little more with my own eyes. So I moved to the United States. I lived in Miami and lived in Puerto Rico two years and then I moved back. I did my master's in finance and my first job was a job that my father helped me find, I have to admit it, in an insurance company. But it was a very, the lowest of the lowest of the ent- the first entry level job you can find. And I remember that my boss at that time, she was a hardworking woman. She had a daughter. Her husband was driving a bus. He owned a bus. And she built her house with her hands. You know, the the economics in our countries where I come from, from Colombia, are a little different. She lived in a part of town where she had to build her own house with her hands. Her husband was a bus driver, and she was so honest, loyal. I learned so much from her. Like, really, I have to say that I learned so much from her. And it showed me a different different aspect of a human being that I not necessarily had been exposed until that time. And that's really when I see that my professional career started. The system, the pension system in Colombia became private. I did a a financial plan for the insurance company that I was working for to become one of those pension funds. And it was a lot of work and I didn't understand the extent of what I was doing. But what I understand now is that that gave me a base for my professional career forever. Because there's two things. Once you understand finances and you understand how to project numbers, it helps you greatly when you're in the business world. And then from there, I moved to a bank. I worked in relationship building that gave me that love for relationships. And then when I was 31, that's when I moved to the United States. And I I was in a national position for the pension fund that I had done the, the study for. 
and I was running all special businesses. So, you know, people can go into a private fund, they can stay in a public fund, but there were special systems like the military, like the public hospitals, things like that. And those were the ones that I was working on. So I was working in a national capacity, working with offices all over the, con- the, the country of Colombia, but I didn't have, it was not, it was okay, but it was not meaningful for me. Got you it. know, it was like, you, you see, you get to a place that you're like, okay, if I'm going to keep doing these, you know, what, what happens? Yeah, no, I love it. I, I mean, one of the things that you describe, right, is that journey of finding your calling. And we can all use different words and meaning and different things, but it's really those things where work is an act of love, where it's not just work. It is, it becomes part of who you are. And I think that that is something that comes through as you tell your your story and, and finding your way through those different pillars. One thing that I would reiterate for our audience that I think was beautifully said is that when you understand finance and have to project numbers, it helps your foundation for any business endeavor you want to be in. Because that's really the language of business, right, is, is finance and numbers. And so that is super powerful. And then what you talked about in learning about relationships and working with those special programs, these are fundamental things, whether you're a business executive, a leader in a nonprofit, an entrepreneur, an education institution, all these things come together. So let's pivot gears for a little bit and talk to me a little bit about the DC Chamber. Brag on the Chamber a little bit. If I were coming into DC and and looking at a new market, talk to me a little bit about the work that you all do for your member organizations. So um, the DC Chamber of Commerce is the oldest business organization in the District of Columbia. The DC Chamber was founded initially years ago. It has been in it has been in existence for eighty three years. It was created for the Black community, and then it has evolved through the years. And now we are, you know, the largest business organization in the district. What the Chamber of Commerce does that is unique is representing the small business community. So you know, when you have when you have an organization that has that is in touch up here, but is in touch down here. You know, like you can go up and bring, you know, larger businesses and bring larger companies that can subcontract with the small businesses. And then we have the touch with the small businesses. I am a banker by education and by profession, my professional career. And we have organized our programs and we continue to organize what we offer to our business in three pillars. One, for startups. So companies that have been in business up to three years. The second one for companies that want to grow, and we have partnered with different organizations that provide certification for women-owned on the federal government, on the local level. You know, there's there's also certification in green. There's international opportunities as well. And then the third pillar is for companies that are grown, that we can connect them with opportunities. So that's the value, I mean, the value that a, that a Chamber of Commerce brings. And on top of that, we have a very, very strong government relations committee. So we are on top of legislation, what happens in the district, you know, what legislation is coming up that is can affect your business and really representing our businesses in front of the council and the mayor's office. That is really powerful because a lot of small businesses in particular don't really understand how the laws and regulations impact them. Oh, absolutely. Have you all as an advocate is really, really powerful. And and that that is really, really awesome. One of the things to expand upon that 
when you think about chambers and, and, and I had this bias before I became more active in my local chamber, you think about it as kind of a, a social thing, right? The chamber and business people get together. But what you described is significantly more active. You described your pillars, but then you also described certification, how you can connect all those different things. How does somebody reach out to you? If they're hearing this podcast, reach out to the chamber. What are some of the tools where they can get to know some of the details of those pillars? So what we have is, well, obviously they can go to the website of the chamber. Once you become a member, we our work is done through committees. We have an international committee, a small business committee, membership committee, workforce development committee that is a big area that we're working on, construction. We started a women's group last year and government relations committee. So anybody has something that they can get involved. And I think that I always, I always said, this is the second chamber I run. I run the Hispanic chamber before for seven years. And now I'm running the DC chamber. I've been here for two years. And I love the work of a chamber of commerce does. What I love the most about is you can create whatever works for your businesses where you are, right? But some chambers of commerce, I mean, I've seen it all because I, you know, some chambers of commerce do scholarships for students. Some chambers of commerce, for me, a chamber of commerce is a place where businesses convene, they talk to each other, and they find opportunities. Opportunities for what? Opportunities for growth. And how is growth? Growth is through certification or through contacts, right? Contacts, you know, for lending, for additional opportunities for businesses. And the second pillar is government relations. And I am understanding, I've been understanding much better through the DC Chamber and my role here at the DC Chamber, the importance, as you said, on the importance of government and the importance of policy. And it's just something that we have to, we just have to get involved and understand. Understand how is that going to impact my business? You know, what's going to happen? You know, if you keep with ideals, you know, some members of the council, if you continue putting legislation like that, what's going to happen with the business community? And some people say, well, is that, you know, is the large corporations? And it doesn't matter. The business community is comprised of large businesses, small businesses, medium sized businesses. Everybody's part of the cycle. Is not, and everybody has a role to play. So when you, you know, it's like, it's, it's just something that for me is so important to, to always bring that message is we all have a role to play. You know, corporations, yes, they have more money, but it's a way of giving back to the community, right? Getting involved, utilizing the procurement opportunities to support small businesses. And, you know, we all have to be mindful of what our, what, what we bring to the table and what we want to get of something where we get involved. That is awesome. When you think about, you know, one of the things that jumped to mind, both when you talked about the DC Chamber, but also the Hispanic Chamber of Commerce, there are a lot of large companies that want to diversify their supplier networks. Right. They don't know where to look. They don't know what organizations to help them do that, to find high quality vendors and partners right in the different areas. And so highly encourage folks to to really dig in and, and use our various chambers to be a conduit because you said very good. Convene, talk, and develop opportunities. Absolutely. Right? And, and, and keep it moving. So I think that is that is that is great. Let's zoom out the lens a little bit. There's so much going on in our country 
so much turmoil, a lot of good things for sure, but our politics are more divided than ever. Um, we obviously are dealing with the impact of Russia's invasion of the Ukraine. We've been through a pandemic. Racial equity is on everyone's radar now, uh, based on the 2020 as a catalyst year with some of the murders that occurred. What are some of the things as a business leader, as you're looking at all of these things, what can we do to help make it better, right? When we think as business leaders, like what are some steps that we can take? What are some things that you're encouraging your members to do and learn when those topics come up in that business conversation and context? Self-consciousness. I know it's a very deep word, but it's true. I mean, like the, the, the problem that I see is that the lack of self-consciousness that, that we all have. You know, it's, it's just that confrontation with you and saying, okay, where is my space? We all have a place, right? We all do. We all have a place. We all have a role. And it's what is our role? And why? what I am biased about. We're all biased about something, right? It's not necessarily against Latinos or women or, you know, black or white, or I think that is against something. And I have my bias too. So it's being conscious about it. And when that happens, you know, just being open about saying, okay, I'm biased about something, but I'm going to accept it somehow. We don't have to be friends with everybody, but we have to respect life, respect human beings, right? And respect where everybody comes from. You know, I am very respectful of the community, but they cannot push me to agree with everything that everybody's saying. I have the right to believe in what I believe in, right? What I see sometimes is that they want, some people want us to believe what they believe. And that's another mistake we make. I don't want, you have your beliefs, I have my beliefs, I respect yours, you respect mine. And we have to come to a place we all, where we all live in that space. I think that, I mean, honestly, for me and what I go and do every day, what I, me as a leader now that I'm conscious, that I'm a leader, that I work all the time. In, because, I mean, part of my development to become a leader, because I'm the president and CEO of the DC Chamber of Commerce, but I, the way I look at myself now and I understand about me is that I'm a, I'm a leader, but I'm a leader from my heart. Mm-hmm. And basically, when you when you become or when you understand you're a leader, it's a transformation that comes within, and it's something that you work on every day, right? You don't you just don't go out and say I'm a leader because I'm a leader because it doesn't work that way, right? People can read your eyes, people can read your your energy. I mean, it's just the way it is. That's right, right? And it's like no, no, no. I mean, you're a leader from within. And I started when I was very young. I mean, I, I grew up in a family where with based with Jesuits. One of the principles of the Jesuits, two, I'm gonna tell you two. One is self-consciousness. And the other one, always look for the well-being of the community. Sometimes when you look for the well-being of the community, you sacrifice something personal. But it's like what what goes first? I mean, you can be in great shape, but if your community is not in good shape, so what doesn't have any meaning in my life. So I started like my my process of growing as a person. Like I always look, you have like two glasses, right? One glass is what you show and whatever that can be full. But the other glass that needs to be full so that it doesn't 
soul is your inside, your soul, your whatever. And how do you feed your soul? You feed your soul through transformation, through self-consciousness, through faith, through, you know, God, whatever everybody wants. For me, it's God, it's my faith. I always, I do every year something on leadership or something that can feed my soul, like I do with my intellect, like I do with my body. So that's, you know, that's what I think we're missing. That part we're missing. Plus, social media is not helping. Because when you look at social media and you're like, you see all these people doing these great things. And I'm like, you know, everything can be posted in a picture, but that doesn't reflect the picture of your soul. Mm. And that's for me is something that I always look because believe me, it gets to all of us. So it's like something I'm like, you know, what is it? So instead of focusing on that, I focus on what I can do with me to keep my strength, to keep my values, to keep you know, being honest, even under the circumstances and the pressure that I may uh, confront. That is awesome. The the thing, a lot of businesses, a lot of leaders, it is more acceptable to talk about wellness, to talk about mental health, to talk about, we can all use different words, feeding one's soul, feeding one's consciousness, but really it's how do we become and think about more than what we post on social media, the superficial, right? The external. How do we deal with the things that are lasting and create that opportunity to continue to improve? And I think as leaders, we have to set that example. And there is a humility and humbleness that is required in leadership today so that people trust where you're coming from enough to really share with you, to really be with you at a deeper level. And so I really appreciate the way that you describe that. And we all do have our beliefs, our perspectives, and it's how do you have that space, right? For the things in your experiences and acknowledge, right? And appreciate the differences in others. And the thing that I try to do, and it doesn't make me better than anyone else, but I don't have a judge's robe. That's not my calling. Mm-hmm. My calling is to understand people and like you described, to be a good value for the community that I'm in. And when we start with trying to understand and appreciate others, it gives us more room to find the things that we have in common. But if I start out as your judge, then I'm only looking for things I don't like. And that doesn't create a lasting relationship. So I really appreciate what you described in the way that you did, because leadership has lots of pressures. Yeah. And a lot of times leaders crumble under those pressures because they think it's perfection versus progress. And I'm a big believer in progress. And me too. No, and I've met people, you know, I've had the opportunity to really get, I like getting to know people. I like understanding where they come from, you know, their families. And you know, I mean, people think you don't, you cannot tell. I mean, you can, can't you tell? Yes. <laughs> you can tell when, and I, you know, I, I had a friend and he, you know, he was a politician and whatever. And I was like, how people can not, not to do respect him or anything, but, you know, I'm saying our leaders have to be thoughtful, you know, have to connect with the people and understand what they're great at and what they're not good at. You know, if they're not good about certain things, at least say, you know, I'm not going to get involved here because this is not me. What is me is this. So that's those are the things that I think we all have to come to an understanding, not just because you want to be in front of that. It's because it's really meant for you. 
I don't, I mean, I, I've been always like that. I've never, I mean, I'm, I'm very ambitious, but I'm ambitious personally, if that makes sense. I want to be a better human being. I want to be a better mother. I want to be a better friend. I'm ambitious that way. I'm not ambitious like, oh, I want to, like, I have my eye in that position. You see what I'm saying? I'm, okay. I've never been like that. I've always been more ambitious in in that sense, that I want to find more inner peace, that I want to be, you know, with the people I really want to do, that I want to be able to set up limits and to start, you know, living my life the way I'm supposed to. That is powerful. The last question that I have during our time, talk to me about someone that you admire and why. And it could be business, it could be personal, but somebody that gives you inspiration to be that better person or leader and and, yeah. and why? Well, I think that the person that I think about all the time is my father. So as you know, he built his career from down up and he was a person that a lot of people, like, I'm not going to say criticized, but my father was very quiet doing what he needed to do. Mm -hmm. He, he um, obviously with my mother's support, my mother always got upset because we never mentioned her, but my mother was a, an incredible source of keeping the family together, being at the house, and that helped my dad to develop what he needed to develop. But my father grew up in a family with no resources. He went to, uh, different than my mother. My mother was born with us with a silver spoon in her mouth, you know, like they say that. <laughs> but she grew up in a different environment. My father really didn't grow up with a lot. And uh, her mother sent him to an internship with the Jesuits. And he ended up, you know, speaking seven languages. He finished his PhD. And then uh, he had a situation once where, you know, he was really not valued. And he was like, he kept his head up and he said, that's fine. He didn't fight anybody. And then that's when he said, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to build a school that is going to have the best education. So he founded a school. We all helped our six kids. And we, now we have a school in Colombia with 700 students. My sister is running it. But for me, you know, we have it now. That's a different story. But for me, it was more the way it started because keeping it is one thing. Starting something is a whole different thing against all odds. So I really, you know, every time I'm in a situation that I'm in a situation where, where I want to respond or where I feel I'm not respected, I always go back to him and the way he handled that. He was very humble and he always told me, remember where you came from? And he was like, you're not better than anybody. And still to this day, when I'm out, I always think I'm not better than anybody else. I just have to strive every day to do the best I can. That will be, Angela, the last word. That is awesome, right? I, I, I love that, that story. And 700 students is a powerful legacy building for your father that will yeah. just continue to grow, grow on. Thank you so much for spending time with us, for authentically sharing your perspective, both on leadership, certainly the DC Chamber, but I've gained the most from this dialogue, just getting to know you better and some of the foundations that make you that authentic leader. So Angela, thank you for being a part of the Donald Thompson podcast, and we wish you nothing but the best. And if we can ever be of help in any way or any of the things that we're doing, we are hopeful that you'll call on us. Thank you, Don, and I appreciate it because you're a very warm person and that makes it easier. So thank you. Yeah.